speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 59 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, we're going to look at episodes 7 and 8 of season 5 of The Adventures of Superman. Yes, you heard that right. Seven and eight. Almost halfway through season five of The Adventures of Superman. And I'll be quite honest, after this episode, the worst is yet to come. And I don't mean that in a facetious way. I'm just kind of saying that to illustrate that season five is probably the most uneven of the seasons of The Adventures of Superman. Even with the color episode getting late in the series where things start to get a little little more kid-friendly. There aren't a ton of episodes that I believe are bad. Season 5 seems to have the monopoly on most of the bad episodes. You know, the other seasons had episodes that I thought were weaker than others, but I'm going to be quite honest, there were a few episodes of Season 5 that I am really not looking forward to in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But that's not this episode. This week I've got a couple good ones on tap for you. Money to Burn is an episode that I am very fond of. It was a, an episode I randomly recorded off uh, television when I was a kid. So it's an episode I know very well and one of the better episodes of season five and probably one of the top color episodes, I believe, of the series. Well, it could have been more of a mystery story than it actually turned out to be, but we'll get to that when I talk about the episode. And then the second episode I'm going to be discussing today is Close Shave, which is not as good, but it does have some memorable, memorable performances by some veterans of the show. So before I get to today's episodes. I have some feedback to address from friend of the show, Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen Podcast episode 53, in which I discussed The Phantom Ring and The Jolly Roger, the last two episodes of season four. Dave writes, greetings, Mike. Wow. I wouldn't have predicted that you dislike any episode of The Adventures of Superman more than The Dog Who Knew Superman, but I guess The Jolly Roger is your rock bottom. I'll put Dave on pause for a minute. Dave, we'll see after the next few weeks when I get to uh, the Prince Albert coat and the stolen elephant. Those could be uh, could be candidates, too. Let's not declare the rock bottom just yet. But anyway, Dave does agree that it's not a very good episode, but I look at it as a kid's fantasy episode. There are pirates. Of course, they're not real pirates, but they're kind of Tom Sawyer pirates who can only charge people with mutiny because that's the only charge they know. Because that's the only one in kids' stories of pirates. And the only punishments are hanging from a yardarm or walking the plank, even though they don't have any yardarms or planks. Again, because those are the things kids would know from pirate stories, even if many kids wouldn't know what a yardarm is. Even the pirate names are the kinds kids would come up with if they were making up a pirate story. Captain Scud, Mud, Blood, and Thud. From a slightly more realistic point of view, if their ancestors were stranded on the island 300 years earlier, these descendants must be the result of some serious inbreeding. So, charitably... They might be seriously mentally defective, acting like kids themselves, and playing at being pirates without really understanding what pirates are or do. Ultimately, it's a bad episode, but I don't hate it. I'm going to stick Dave on pause again for a minute, and I don't believe Dave is really capable of hating an, an episode of this series. You know, what I like about Dave is that he is 
Very positive. He will find a good thing or two even in the most horrid of episodes. Case in point here. And I'm going to say on the record, I've said this before, that my issues with the dog who knew Superman is not the fact that it's an episode about a dog. Which, you know, no, animal stories are not my favorite thing in the world. But my big issue with that episode was that the humans just acted stupid. Including Superman. Who I thought in that episode acted pretty out of character. But anyway... We're not going to rehash the dog who knew Superman. We're going to move right on to the rest of Dave's letter. The Phantom Ring is certainly a better episode, and with the invisibility gimmick, it was fun to see actors act as if they'd been hit or pushed. And George Reeves might have liked to be on camera less while he was invisible, just to get a bit of a break. I'm looking forward to your coverage of Season 5. I realize it's not your favorite, but I'm looking forward to seeing Professor Pepperwinkle again, as well as seeing Superman exhibit some astounding new powers. Well, I... Don't know if he exhibits any astounding new powers in Season 5, but he is going to uh, get some astounding new pe- powers in Season 6. So we'll have to wait for that. But I am looking forward to Professor Pepperwinkle, who I believe is going to return to the Man of Screen podcast in the next episode. I'm going to wrap up Dave's letter. Live long and prosper. Dave McElvenny. And as always, I'd like to thank Dave for sending in his feedback. You can send in the feedback too if you are inclined to do so. It is always welcomed and will be read on the show. You can send that feedback to manofscreen at gmail.com. So I am going to now take a quick break, play a promo. Then I'm going to come back with Money to Burn. Hang around, folks. As superhero movies are becoming mainstream entertainment at theaters around the world, comic fans also have plenty of heroic action on the small screen to keep them sated while waiting for the next blockbuster. We are in a golden age of superhero television shows, with plenty of offerings from both the Marvel and DC universes, and the trend shows no sign of slowing down. To chronicle these recent shows and even examine some of the classics, we are proud to present Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. In every podcast, we'll be doing recaps of individual episodes of one Marvel show and one DC show until we catch up to them or some supervillains shut us all down. My name is Scott McGregor, and I'm the fastest podcaster alive. That's what she said. And I'm Chris Tyler, one of your agents of cool. To bring you this podcast, we each have to become someone else. We each have to become something else. Two, two, All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into Money to Burn. Original broadcast date was April 19th, 1957. Writer was David Chandler, and director was Harry Gerstad. Guest cast included Maurice Hugo as Slim, Dale Van Sickle as Torch, and Richard Emery as the Fire Department Lieutenant. Now for our synopsis, brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Daily Planet editor Perry White and reporters Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, and Clark Kent are working late. I know I forgot something. <laughs> Never mind. Let's go beard the lion in his den. Here's the city council story, Chief. Miss Lane, what did you mean a few minutes ago when you said, let's go beard the lion in his den? What? Uh, that's an old expression, Olsen. It means let us face an unpleasant situation and get it over with. Miss Lane, is that the way you refer to coming into this office? Well... Yes? What? The Planet Warehouse? When? Great Caesar's ghost! What is it, Chief? The Planet Warehouse is on fire. I've got to get over there right away. Where's Kent? We don't know. He left. I'll leave a note for him. He'll have to take over here when he gets back. Can we come, too? Yes, yes. Nothing could make it any worse. 
Cheapers, I haven't seen a good fire in a long time. Well, in that case, Olson, we let it burn to the ground, even though we do have $100,000 worth of newsprint in there. Perry goes with Lois and Jimmy to the location of the blaze. Mr. White realizes that $12,000 of the newspaper's payroll money is in the building safe. Don't take it so hard, Chief. It's insured, isn't it? Yes, but just stand here and see this happen. Look, Chief, the fireman's friend back there. They'll be my friend forever. They ever put this out. Doesn't make sense. How can they make a profit back here inside the fire line? Hey, you'd think they'd be back there where the crowds are. Oh, well, how about a cup of coffee, Chief? You know I never drink coffee. Pardon me. We're from the Daily Planet. That's our editor, Mr. White, over there. We were wondering about this fireman's friend business. Just what it says, buddy. Me and my pal serve free coffee and sinkers to the firemen. It's a hobby. Hot idea, huh? <laughs> get it? Hot idea. Sure, sure, I get it. Hey, how about an exclusive picture interview? We don't want any publicity, kid. As I told you, it's a hobby. We're just sort of honorary firemen. He's plenty burned, huh? <laughs> Get it? Burned! <laughs> you know, one of these days you're gonna wisecrack just once too often and get us both into rail trouble. <laughs> okay, okay, let me have it. You ready? Yeah, I got the place all cased. See you, Slim. In reality, Torch has entered the inferno after exchanging his tray of food and drink for another one. He is wearing a suit made of fireproof plastic designed by Slim. The pair's motives for their plans are unclear. Having seen Perry's message as Clark Kent, Superman has made it to the Planet Warehouse. The Metropolis Marvel puts the flames out with the water hose. The next day, it is learned that the newspaper's payroll is missing. You better get your feet off the desk before the Chief gets back. Golly, Miss Lane, I'm just practicing up to be editor. It's after four. I don't know what could be keeping the Chief. I'll tell you what kept me. The district attorney, the arson squad, and the insurance investigators. Hardly seems enough. But, Chief, you didn't commit any crime. You might be more comfortable with your feet up on my desk, Mr. Olson. Well, I just had him up there. Oh, please, sir, sit down. You're getting red in the face. Thank you. You're most considerate. Jim does have a point, Chief. It sounds as though you were treated like a criminal. I was. But that's absurd. After all, you own a lot of Planet stock, which means you own part of the warehouse. Unfortunately, there's a little matter of a missing payroll. What's that got to do with it? Well, yesterday, just a few hours before the fire started, a guard and I personally delivered a $12,000 payroll in the company safe. A guard was posted. When the fire started, naturally, he fled. After the fire, the payroll was gone. You mean stolen? Apparently. But the minute Superman got that fire under control, the place was swarming with firemen, which means that the payroll was taken during the fire. But that's impossible. Why, that part of the building was an inferno. Nevertheless, it was gone. And there's only one logical answer, that I never really put the money in the safe and that I started the fire to cover an embezzlement. Both the guard and the watchman saw you put the money in the safe. They have both testified that they saw me put the briefcase in the safe, but neither one can say whether there was any money in the briefcase or not. Well, that's kind of ridiculous. We all know you didn't do it. Yeah, but the DA and the insurance company and the arson squad don't. In other words, if you claim insurance, they'll try to prove fraud. Yes, and if I don't claim it, I'll be personally liable for about a half million dollars. Well, how about the watchman? Couldn't he have taken it? The poor man was severely burned. Naturally, he'd have planned it better than that. Hmm. Well, let's face it. That money just vanished right through the flames. Though I'm sure the heat was too intense for any ordinary asbestos suit. Well, I'm going to find out how it was done or end up in jail. 
Don't talk like that, Chief. You can count on us. We'll come to visit you every day. Well, I am sorry to disappoint you, Mr. Rosen, but I'm not going to jail. I used to be a pretty fair crime reporter in my day. Let's hope I haven't lost my touch. Uh, Chief, where are you going to start? Any place. Engine Company 10, probably. I want to talk to anybody who has seen anything unusual. All right, I'll go with you. No, you won't. Somebody has to hold down that desk. But, Chief, now, let just me... a minute. That's final. Now, someone or something got me into this, and I'd like to be the one to find out personally who or what it was. I'll check with you every half hour in case you need me. Yes, sir. I've never seen him that upset before, except, of course, at me. You both better get back to work. We don't want to let him down to the paper either. Slim and Torch are counting the money they stole from the Planet Warehouse fire. I bet there's over ten grand there. A couple more halls like this and we can retire. As long as we retire in different directions, I never want to hear another wisecrack again. Hey, I just thought of a new one. You know what happened to the guys working at that warehouse? I don't want to know. They got fired. <laughs> Get it? Fired! <laughs> you know, I really shouldn't cut you in for half the dough. I do all the work. Yeah, who goes into the fire? Who thought up the fireman's friend gimmick? So we can get inside the fire lines. And who thought of using the stepped-up hearing aid to detect the lock tumblers? Well, I guess it... And who spent two years developing your fireproof plastic suit? You did, Slam. I gotta hand it to you. But how come you never sold the plastic formula to some big outfit? That would be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. I even had the foresight to line your suit with lead foils so Superman couldn't see through it. In case he ever showed up. That might have come in handy yesterday. It was pretty close. Well, there it is. Six grand apiece. Minus the two and a half bucks you owe me. What for? Your share for that five bucks I put out for coffee and donuts. Get the door. <clears throat> I beg your pardon. I'm Perry White of the Daily Planet. I wonder if I could talk to you. We're pretty busy. Of course, Mr. White. Come in. Thank you. Terrible thing, that fire at your warehouse. Yes, that's what I wanted to talk to you about in a way. I remembered your truck, the fireman's friend. Oh, it's nothing, really. The boys do a wonderful job. We just like to make things a little easier for them. Mm. Sort of a hobby. The fire commissioner even gave us permission to have a shortwave radio in our car, so we can know where to go. Yes, it's against the law, you know, to have a vehicle equipped with shortwave radio without permission. Yes, I'm aware of that. I'm a newspaper man. How did you happen to locate us, Mr. White? Sheer luck, I must admit. I was just driving by and I saw your truck parked outside. So what can we do for you? Well, a very strange thing happened at that fire. A payroll was stolen. You don't say. I'm afraid I do. You mean during the fire? Yes. Sounds fantastic, I know. But it's true. A lock safe, a blazing room. Well, that's why I'm here. I don't see how we can help. Well, you two, of all people, might have seen something. You weren't as occupied as the fireman, or even myself. Well, I'm afraid I don't quite understand, Mr. White. I want you to think. Think very carefully of anything you saw, no matter how unimportant it may seem. Hmm. I saw a dog run by. I remember thinking he might become a hot dog. <laughs> hot dog. I'm afraid Mr. White isn't interested in humor at the moment. No, that isn't funny. Now, please think carefully. Was there anything else? Yes, there was one thing. I heard an explosion. That's been explained, the boiler. Did you see any people who looked like they didn't belong? No, we didn't see anything like that. Well, <clears throat> I'm afraid we can't help you, Mr. White. I know that's an awful lot of money, and <laughs> in fact, I'd like to have it myself. 
Well, thank you anyway. Sorry I bothered you. Something wrong, Mr. White? Yes. I distinctly remember you wearing a hearing aid yesterday. Oh, well, yes. Well, he's I, uh... an excellent uh, lip reader, Mr. White. I see. Well, wait a minute. I was pacing around the room, looking out the window. He couldn't have been reading my lips. Just a minute, but... Now, well, you see, uh, <clears throat> he needs it mostly out of doors. Uh, all the outside noises, you know. Oh, yeah, well, I guess that's possible. Well, thanks, anyway. However, they still believe that Perry may discover the truth about their fireman's friend scam very soon. Slim and Torch's hunch proved to be right when the editor finds a special plastic protective gear in the racketeer's truck. They lock him inside in hopes of eliminating Perry before they pull their next job. It's been two hours since Perry left his office, and he has not checked in yet. You want to check the story, Clark? Oh, yes. Thanks, Lois. So how's the chief making out? Well, to tell you the truth, I've been so busy, I, I'd almost forgotten about him. He hasn't called in since he left. Well, that's almost two hours ago. That's right. That's not like him. He usually checks with me. Unless he was too successful. What do you mean, too successful? Well, he may have learned more than he was supposed to. I think you're right, Lois. Whoever's behind all this is obviously very clever and probably equally dangerous. Where are you going? Try and pick up his trail. Oh, take over for me, will you? With Lois Lane now at the editor's desk, Clark Kent is searching for the chief who has been locked in the safe of the charred planet warehouse. Meanwhile, another storage has been set ablaze, leaving the pair of firemen's friends to commit another robbery. Having heard the alarm at the fire department is Clark, Superman enters the flaming structure. Torch forces him to make a deal. I thought you might be here, whoever you are. Hold it, Superman, or you'll never see Mr. White again. We'll see about that. We've got him hid. And no matter what you do to me, I won't talk. You mean you want to make a bargain? Yeah, a bargain. You give me time to get out, and you stay here. What can you give me? I'll call the planet within an hour and tell you where to find White. All right, I don't have any choice. But let me warn you about something. If anything happens to Mr. White... I give you my word, Superman. He's in the safest surroundings possible. <laughs> Don't forget. Let me get clear out. When I make a bargain, I keep it. The fireman's friends remember serving Perry some coffee at the Planet Warehouse when Clark Kent asked them. Give me another pot of coffee. The fireman need it. Excuse me, gentlemen. I'd like to talk to you. I'm sorry, mister. We're pretty busy. I know, but this is rather important. You see, I'm from the Daily Planet. Yeah, that Mr. White, the editor, was around last night at that other fire. You mean you, you actually saw him there? Well, I... Sure, I served him some coffee. That's how I remember. Well, this is a break. You didn't happen to see him here tonight, did you? I have a very good reason for thinking he might be here. I haven't seen him, mister. Me either. But if he's lost, that should be pretty embarrassing. In fact, White should turn red. <laughs> Will you be quiet? I'm tired of your wisecracks. You've got to admit, they always make sense. Well, thank you anyway, gentlemen. Oh, incidentally, I think you're doing a wonderful job with this truck. We think so. However, Jimmy Olsen reminds Kent that the chief does not drink coffee. Any news, Clark? Nothing. Nobody's seen him, except the fireman's friends. They remember serving him a cup of coffee last night. I wonder what could have happened. Mr. Kent, the chief doesn't drink coffee. That's right, Clark. So he couldn't have had any last night. Maybe they thought he did in the confusion. Why don't you kids go on home? I'll give you a ring if anything turns up. I guess there's nothing more we can do. Good night, Clark. Good night. Good night, Mr. Kent. Good night, Jimmy. Well, if he came here, 
safest surroundings possible. Why don't you be quiet? I'm sick of your wisecracks. You gotta admit, they always make sense. Wisecracks always make sense. Safest surroundings possible. As Slim and Torch prepare to leave town, Superman gets Perry out of the safe that is located in the remains of the planet's storage facility. Hurry up. We've just got time to make the airport. I'm ready. Let's go. Superman. The pirate escape. That's enough exercise, boys. I get around faster than you do. Now, you don't have anything on us. No witnesses. No, I wouldn't be too sure of that. Well, the fireman's friends. I can't get you, but I can shut him up. Mr. White, will you call our friends, please? The police? With pleasure, Superman. What's the matter? No wisecracks? He'll have a long time to think up some new ones where he's going. Now get me the police, please. I wonder what Clark Kent will have to say when I show up with this story. Well, strangely enough, I don't think you'd be surprised. All right. Like I said, this is a f an episode I greatly enjoy, but... I do believe this episode misses an opportunity to be a mystery, like several other episodes do in these color seasons. I mentioned the same thing with regards to the town that wasn't when Bob Fisher was on the show, that early on, the phony police officer and the judge started talking about their scam to move the town and to rob an armored car and the drug theft. And I really felt if they kind of let the not done that right there, they could have built up a mystery that the viewers would have to kind of pay attention to follow along and solve along with our heroes. But, you know, this show was becoming more kid-friendly at that point, so I guess they felt the need to spell things out a little bit more. But, despite that, this is still a good episode, and like I said, one of my favorites. Anyway, it starts off with Slim and Torch uh, in, the, in their truck, listening to uh, the police scanner, or shortwave radio as they call it, and they're told about the warehouse fire at 1800 Waterfront Way. We're going to find in the next scene that this is the Daily Planet warehouse. This follows some nice stock footage of some kind of fire. And uh, then it's daytime at the Daily Planet office with Clark going somewhere. Lois thinks he's out eating dinner. And uh, Lois uh, starts off pretty quickly about getting into some trouble. Commenting to Jimmy that they're going to beard the lion in his den. And of course, Jimmy kind of throws Lois under the bus a little bit as he asks about the idiom right in front of Perry and gets her in trouble because, you know, Perry doesn't take too kindly that Lois is describing uh, going into his office as an unpleasant situation. But then he gets a call that the Planet Warehouse is on fire and uh, Jimmy kind of sticks his foot in his mouth again, saying he'd love a good fire, you know. Jimmy always seems to know the wrong thing to say and when to say it. And so in addition to the $100,000 worth of newsprint in the warehouse, Perry also put a... $12,000 payroll in the warehouse safe. Can you imagine a newspaper the size of the planet having only only having a $12,000 payroll? Jimmy points uh, behind them to the fireman's friend truck, which is going to be vital to how this episode turns out. Basically what it is, is a, it's a small kind of food truck and concession stand, uh, serving donuts, coffee, and all that kind of stuff. Lois is the first to question how they can make a profit inside the fire line, while Jimmy is commenting that uh, you think they'd be back where the crowds were. As if watching a warehouse burn to the ground is a spectator sport. Well, I guess it is kind of. You know, I remember when I worked at, whenever I'd have to cover a fire at the newspaper, there's always a crowd of people watching. So I guess a savvy businessman could uh, 
roll up a truck and uh, he could sell some stuff to uh, to the people as they watch something burn to the ground. So Jimmy goes to interview Torch and he basically tells about the hobby and that they serve you know free coffee and donuts to the firemen who you would think are a little bit busy to be munching on coffee and donuts, but I guess they need to keep their strength up while they're fighting the fire. So I'm guessing the coffee and donuts are a welcome sight. And I guess these guys are involved enough with the fire department that they're known to the firefighters. We really never see any relationship between the fireman's friend and the actual firefighters, but there must be one. So Jimmy tries to interview Torch, but instead he makes a bad wisecrack. And pay attention, Torch's wisecracks are going to not only be not funny, but they're also going to be what end they're going to lead to his downfall as the episode goes on. The interview with Torch is pretty brief as they don't want any additional publicity saying, you know, they're kind of doing it for the firemen not to get any kind of accolades. But really, uh, you know why they don't want the attention. They don't want the attention because they're behind, uh, because they're thieves. You know, so if they were trying to steal money, this would probably be kind of a noble effort. So back at the planet, Clark gets to note and changes into Superman. If you'll notice a slight continuity glitch here, Clark has the hat when he leaves the when he goes out of Perry's office from the inside, but when the scene cuts to him coming out of the office, he no longer has his hat. Apparently, the hat went into the Phantom Zone while Clark was going through the door. So we see at the fire, Slim and Torch have traded uh, drink trays. Ordinarily, you would think Torch is just getting a kind of a refill on his supplies to go back toward the fireman, but nope, if somebody takes it inside, and, you know, right here... It's kind of where we kind of lose all pretense of this episode being a mystery. As we see Torch go into the burning building and put and put on the fireproof suit, which allows him to steal the money out of the safe. Now, this is quite the impressive burning set that Torch is walking into. And, and then here he is at the safe. It's basically spelled out for the viewer very early what is going on here as he takes the satchel out of the safe and the payroll. Now, this is an episode I recorded off TV and... I wish I still had that tape, as well, as well as something to play it on. As I would have loved to have just watch that copy, and seen if this sequence with the thief is there. I don't believe it is. And obviously, recorded off uh, WWOR Channel 9 in New York, there's actually only about 22 episodes of Showtime. So, as opposed to the 26 minutes of Showtime on the DVD. So I believe the early scenes at the planet with Lois and Jimmy, the whole bearding the lion in his den thing, and I believe this sequence here are all cut for time. And if you take this long sequence out, which really has no dialogue in it, it's just slim in the building stealing the money, you can build a little bit of a mystery and really not know what's going on. And you could... Cut off the moment where Torch tells Slim that the safe is loaded, and the later plotline of Perry being accused of arson and fraud, you know what, might carry some weight. In this full version, we know that's not the case. So when Superman arrives, he grabs a hose and he puts out the fire. And this is a nice shot of Superman putting out the fire with what looks like carbon dioxide or whatever comes out of a fire extinguisher, some kind of gas. But he asks Jimmy to turn out the water, and it doesn't appear there's water coming out of that hose. Unless it's steam. But... All in all, it's a neat little action sequence there. So, oddly enough, Perry is being polite to Jimmy in the next scene as the insurance comp- as he gets back from the insurance company and meeting with the DA and the arson squad. The police believe one of two things. Well, the police are saying they believe that Perry never put the money in the safe and he burned it down to 
cover and embezzlement, which is putting Perry in quite the predicament. If he files for insurance to help claim fraud, and if he doesn't, he's liable for about half a million dollars. We also learn here that Perry owns a ton of Planet stock, so he is a part owner of the paper, which I guess explains why he is so involved with the paper's business operations as well. So, while everyone is talking about how Perry's not going to jail, Jimmy offers to visit as often as possible. Again, Jimmy saying the wrong thing at the worst time. And I really like that Perry is taking this personally, and it's the impetus for him going after the story on his own to clear his own name. So, we immediately go to Slim and Torch. Apparently, Slim is tired of Torch's joking nature, and I pretty much am as well. It's probably one of the weakest parts of the episode, Torch's humor, so, but it does become part of the plot, so it's not as obnoxious as it would be just kind of on its own. So Slim's assertion that he does all the work is kind of unfair to Torch, as he has to actually go into the burning blaze, but we just wish he'd be quiet about it. Apparently, Slim is the brains of the operation. He even lined the suit with lead so Superman didn't see it. Torch asks why he didn't sell the fireproof suit to some corporation, and Slim says because that would be honest. Apparently, it's more important for Slim to be dishonest than it is to actually make a bunch of money. Sheesh. You know, a development like that probably would have fetched this guy a ton more money than some of these robbery jobs, so... Apparently, he is so adverse to making a living the honest way that he's just leaving money on the table by doing these petty theft jobs. Well, not really petty theft, but... um, Jobs that seem like small fry compared to what he could have made from the patents of a fireproof suit. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but... We move on. So Perry shows up at their hotel and asks the fireman's friend if they saw anything. Torch makes a hot dog joke. But Perry spots something off about Torch, and this is where we get a very good sense of how smart and observant Perry is. He notices that Torch was wearing a hearing aid the night before, which, as we heard in the the previous scene, that Torch wears the hearing aid so he can hear the tumblers moving in the safes. First, Slim will try to... Run off Perry's concern by saying it's lip reading, but Perry says the torch couldn't have been reading his lips all the time because Perry was walking around, looking out the window. So, Slim tries again, just says the torch needs it outside to filter out the outside noises, and I guess that could be true. I thought I've heard that some people do need one outside just to kind of help them filter through the background noise of being outside. So, anyway, while Perry is challenging the story, torch is getting upset. Like I said, Slim is the brains of the operation, and Torch is the uh, over-emotional henchman who has to go into the fire. But Slim isn't really too swift either sometimes. He says that the money in the safe is a lot of money, and he wish he makes a comment that he'd like to have it himself. Well, you know, he does, but why even make a comment like that? Why do these people say these things? Idiot criminals, I tell you. Idiots! So Perry goes outside, he walks by the truck, and is continued curious about the fireman's friend. Apparently, Slim and Torch have no problem just leaving the door to the truck open, and Perry just walks right in. It looks like a normal dining truck on the inside until Perry goes under the counter and finds a suit that doesn't burn. And for his trouble, Perry gets locked in the back of the truck. And one of them, I think it's Slim, who says, Nobody will miss Perry for a week. (laughs) No, we're going to find out that it's pretty immediate in the next scene at the planet, as Lois brings in a story and realizes that no one's heard from Perry since he left two hours ago. And they just make the leap that he learned too much, and Clark chases after Perry, leaving... Lois in charge. Apparently, the hierarchy of power at the Daily Planet is Perry, who is the boss of just about everything. Apparently, when Perry leaves, Clark is in charge, and when Clark has to go, Lois is in charge, so that's that. So, at first, Clark checks with the fireman. He didn't see Perry, but as 
He Clark is there, a call comes in, and there's another fire, and we get more stock footage. Slim and Torch are at this fire as well, and here is Superman uh, catching Torch in the act. But Torch proposes a deal. Let him out, and he will phone the officers to where to find Perry White. Superman agrees to the deal, but we're pretty sure Torch is not going to call in Perry's location. And I think it's when Clark questions the fireman's friends. I believe he recognizes Torch's laugh, but I'm not sure where he knows where to place it. And immediately on, it's kind of unclear that Torch got what he went into the warehouse for. But back at the planet, Clark reports in to Lois and Jimmy, and he says that the fireman's friends served him some coffee. And they reminded Clark that the chief doesn't drink coffee. All of a sudden, he I seem to recall him drinking coffee in The Secret of Superman way back in Season 1. And he also was delivered a coffee in Great Caesar's Ghost. But even though he said he didn't order it, he seemed to imply that he takes two lumps of sugar in his coffee. So, I guess... Perry is giving caffeine up for Lent or something. I don't know. So and then they leave and Clark is kind of just sitting at the desk and he's kind of going over what's been told to him. And I, and I really like these little voiceovers as Clark thinks about what was told to him. First, the memory of the fireman doesn't really do anything. I don't know why that's even there, but he latches onto the word wisecracks from when he talked to the fireman's friends. And then when Torch said in the building that he's Perry's in the safest surrounding possible. Key word being safest or safe. And believe it or not, even though I knew from watching this episode before that Perry's in the safe, this is the first time watching this episode that I made the connection between safest surrounding as possible as being the Daily Planet safe. But until I started paying attention, it kind of boggled the mind a little bit as to how Superman knew exactly where to go, why safest surrounding possible was so uh, important. Well, anyway, when Torture Slim get home, he comments Superman won this round, so I guess they didn't get what they went for. But they're getting out of town because they don't want to deal with Superman anymore. Which begs the question, why operate in Metropolis at all? I'm guessing, you know, this is a Golden Age era type show with some Silver age elements. There wasn't a lot of interaction between DC superheroes in the comics at that time, so we're pretty sure that he's the only superhero about. I'm not sure Superman would bother them and say Chicago, but they're anyway, they're leaving. Meanwhile, Superman pulls Perry out of the planet warehouse safe and observe. Perry is pretty much out of breath here as Superman rescues him from the safe. Then when he, he gets back to the fireman's friend in a few minutes, he's going to be fine. And I really love this sequence when Superman shows up outside the fireman's friend's door. First he's at the door, then they try the fire escape, he's there too, and then he's back at the door. Obviously, the cuts are needed because they have to move George Reeves as there's really no effect for super speed in the 1950s, but I like that wherever they go, there he is. Torch also knows he can't shoot Superman, but I'm not sure why he thinks Superman will let him kill Perry after he shows up. Even if he did, Superman will be a witness to the murder, so I'm not necessarily sure why Torch thought pulling his gun on Perry was a good idea. All it got him was slapped in the wrist. Literally. Then we have a nice little ending of Superman pointing out that Clark Kent wouldn't be surprised about Perry coming in with this story as the episode ends. Again, what a really good episode. A favorite of mine. It's just a, a solid story and... I would have liked to have seen the mystery go on a little longer, but that's not what this series is about at this point. Good entry. Season 5 can be a little weak, but for me, this is a standout episode. So, I am going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with Close Shave. Hang around, folks. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. I'm trailing. Man, it sure is great to be back to FCTC after such a long time. Yes, it is, and we've been away so long. Yeah, but real life... And, uh, you know what? I, I just I just can't do this. Can't do what? 
we have taken more breaks from this show than my wife has had in her entire life. I mean, we can talk about real life getting in the way. Which it has. But it's it's just not fair. So we're not going to joke around, and we're going to simply say that for the moment, we're back, and there's a lot of neat stuff to talk about. Like season two of Lois and Clark. And the death of Clark Kent. And the launch of Superman the Man of Tomorrow. And the return of Lex Luthor. And the trial of Superman. And Underworld Unleashed. <laughs> the show can still be found at the Superman homepage, as well as at the Fortress of Bailytude. And we're still part of the Superman Podcast Network. So From Crisis to Crisis is back. For now. And it will still come out on Thursdays. Most week at www.fortressofbailytude.com, www.supermanhomepage.com, or www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into Close Shave. Original broadcast date was April 26, 1957. Writers were Benjamin B. Crocker, who wrote the teleplay, and Stephen Post, who developed the story. Director was Harry Gerstad. Guest cast included Richard Benedict as Tony Gambini, Rick Vallon as Rick Sable, Don Diamond as Harry Fix, Harry Fleer as Lefty Hook, Jack Littlefield as Mickey Bragg, and John Ferry as Trigger Nelson. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Tony Gambini opened his barbershop in Metropolis last week. As Daily Planet Cub reporter Jimmy Olsen is about to sit in Tony's chair for a haircut, notorious gangster Rick Sable cuts in front of him for a shave. Tony realizes that he and Rick grew up together as Jimmy listens and waits. and gets a tip that Sable intends to rob the Acme Jewelry Company at noon. Running to a nearby diner, Jimmy calls Clark Kent in hopes of getting Superman on the case. You mean the gangster? Yeah, Rick Sable. I think he's going to hold up the Acme Jewelry Company. Can you get word to Superman? Well, perhaps I can, Jimmy. But how did you find out about this? Well, I overheard it in the barbershop. So the smartest crook in town outlines a robbery in front of a witness. I'm sorry, Jimmy, I can't buy it. Jeepers, Mr. Kent, it sounded genuine. Well, there might be something to it at that. You stay there and keep an eye on things. If anything develops, call me. Uh, Jimmy... Be careful. Sure, Mr. Ken, I'll watch out. Jimmy then returns to Tony's to witness a strange incident. And that's how I'm sure. If you know there's a robbery, you get up out of that chair just like that and go over there by the phone, call the police, tell them what it's all about. Operator, give me the police. Hello, police. There will be a robbery today at 12 noon at the... What's that? Well, give me the robbery division then. Come on, Rick, you're carrying this joke too far. It's all a mistake, I'm sorry. But I haven't told them yet. Oh, look, the police are busy. It's not fair to send them on wild goose chases. Uh, say, what was I gonna tell them? Are you feeling all right, Rick? Yeah, of course, of course. Same old Rick. Hey, you're making me laugh just like we did when we were kids. I'll make you laugh. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, yeah, very funny. <laughs> Even fooled a kid, didn't we? Well, I was wise to you all along. Well, I can't wait any longer, Tony. I'll get a trim later. But I'm almost done. Rick Sable, after being persuaded by Gambini, is calling the police to confess the crime he is about to commit. However, 
Thinking it's all a practical joke, Tony stops him before he can continue. Jimmy later recounts the odd event to Clark. He finds it unusual and cannot help but wonder what brought one of Metropolis's biggest mobsters to do such a thing. There's also the matter of the heist. Knowing Lois Lane was going there to pick up her wristwatch, Superman has gone to the Acme Jewelry Company in time to stop Harry Fix and Lefty Hook, members of Rick Sable's gang. He burns Harry's gun with his X-ray vision and it is pointed at Lois. The Star Reporter doesn't take kindly to being used as insurance by the gangsters. She thereby proves that her purse is as powerful as Superman's punch, knocking out both Lefty and Harry. With the situation under control, Superman asks Lois to untie the jeweler before he flies away. Jimmy runs into Clark Kent's office to tell him of Lois' adventure. Mr. Kent, did you hear the news? No, what happened? Well, Miss Lane just got back from lunch. Oh, that's nice. I hope she enjoyed her meal. Well, she didn't say, but you know what? Superman prevented the Acme Jewel robbery. He did. My, he certainly gets around, doesn't he? What a story. And I didn't cover it because I thought it was a hoax. And I don't blame you. It doesn't add up for Rick Sable to tip off a robbery. Unless, of course, he was planning a double cross. Do you suppose, Tony, that Barbara had anything to do with oh, it? Oh, talk sense, will you, Jimmy? Well, it was just an idea. It wouldn't do any harm for me to talk to Tony, would it? No, I don't suppose it would do any harm. Jimmy has gone to Tony's barber shop to investigate further about Rick Sable. But you could do me a favor. Yeah? Tell me, what were you and Rick talking about before the robbery? Well, there was no robbery. We were just kidding. Well, don't laugh too loud. The Acme Jewelry Company was held up today. If you're not laughing, I'm not laughing. Is it true? It happened just like Rick said it would. What did you talk about? I thought Rick was honest. I told him so. Is that all? Oh, look. Rick was always a good kid. I can't believe he's a thief. How much did they get? Nothing. Superman arrived in time. Superman? But he couldn't have. Well, he did. Well, then tell me what Rick is doing right outside the store. Well, Rick didn't take part in the robbery. He just planned it. Now, look, I'm not going to say you're wrong. But I'm going to ask Rick when he comes in the store. Well, jeepers, he can't find me here. Well, why not? Well, I'm the one who tipped off Superman. Well, hide in here, huh? Pull these blinds. Anyone in there? Who do you think I'm hiding, Superman? Somebody ratted on the day's job. Now, it was either you or that reporter. Why pick on me? If the police found out anything, it's because you called them yourself. What did you say? I called the police? Well, sure. If I hadn't stopped you, you'd have told them everything. That's a lie. I swear it's true. On the level? On the level. How could I do such a thing? It wasn't just a bad dream. I ratted on my own men. You need a rest, Rick. A rest, huh? If this happens again, I'll get a nice long one behind bars. Well, it's not gonna happen again. And if you say one word of this to anyone... Is he gone? Yep. So even Rick doesn't know why he tried to tell the police. Well, why don't you forget about that? It's much safer. Tell me, um, how do you like being a reporter? Uh, it's not bad, except for the people. Tell me about Rick. Don't you like people? Yeah, they're swell. Especially Mr. Kent and Miss Lane. But that boss of mine, Mr. White. <laughs> well, are you afraid of him? No. 
Someday I'm going to tell him what I really think, too. Such as? Ah, you wouldn't be interested. Try me. I'd rather talk about Rick Sable. All right, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll talk about Rick. First, you tell me about Mr. White. Well, take last week, for example. Mr. White took the spill in the bathtub and raised a lump the size of an egg on his head. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I was sorry, too. So the next day, he assigned me to do an article, Hazards in the Home. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, except I've been plugging for months for it. If the chief had listened to me, he wouldn't have had to get a bump on the head to get a good idea. And then the week before, there was this mad dog. I've been telling him, Chief, you Hold it. You know, you've got lots of good ideas. Why don't you tell Mr. White about them? Believe in yourself. What if he doesn't like my ideas? Well, then tell him you'll quit and go where you want it. Tony, you're right. You're absolutely right. If he doesn't like my ideas, I will quit. Hey, what's getting into me? I feel like I could do it. Of course. I'm not afraid anymore. You must have done the same thing to Rick Sable. You told him to report to the police. And he did. Well, now, now, don't blame me for what Rick does. Tony, when you believe in someone, they can do the things they were really meant to do. I've got nothing to do with it. It's what people got inside them, good or bad. You can change a person's entire outlook. Why, this could be the greatest thing since movable type. Now, what are you talking about? I'll tell you later. Perry has given the Rick Sable story to Jimmy against his better judgment. I want to see you a minute, Chief. Where have you been? Out on a big story, I suppose. What's going on around here? Oh, Miss Lane's trying to warn me that you knew I was getting a haircut on company time. So you admit it, eh? Why weren't you working? I was working. On what could be the news beat of the year. All right. What have you thought up this time? Flying teacups to go with flying saucers? Well, when Superman stopped Rick Sable's gang from holding up the Acme Jewelry Company today, it was all because of a barber by the name of Tony. The same barber that hasn't given you a haircut yet? He's the one. You see, this Tony is a very unusual man. What he believes in tends to happen. And because he believed Rick Sable was honest, Rick had to tell all about that jewelry robbery. You think because this barber believed Rick was honest, Rick had to behave honestly? That's it in a nutshell. It's nutty, all right. Wait a minute, Chief. I'm not kidding. You see, with Tony's help, I'm planning to get Rick to outline his whole plan of operation. And that way, we can clean up this town overnight and keep an exclusive on the story. To say nothing of reforming a notorious criminal. He may have something there, Chief. Even flying teacups would make more sense. Now get going to that garden club meeting you were supposed to cover today. You mean you won't let me try my idea? No. Then I resign. What? I resign. Now look here, Olsen. This idea of yours isn't worth giving up a good job for, is it? Yes. Tony talked me into doing what I should have done a long time ago. Just the same as he did with Rick. Well, I'm glad somebody talked you into doing what you should. Now, get going. Golly, thanks, Chief. I sure appreciate this. Now, get out to that garden club meeting. They're waiting for you. You mean you're not going to let me cover the Rick Sable story? All right, all right. Do whatever you wish. Doesn't matter what I want. I'm, I'm just the boss around here. Gosh, thanks, boss. And if nobody minds very much, I think I'll go to lunch. Would you like your hat? Having talked Tony Gambini into going with him, the cup reporter is going to the gang lord's home. Lois Lane has also managed to sneak into the car and later surprise Tony and Jimmy. She wants to see if the persuasive barber can make Sable give up a life of crime. However, she may not get the chance to do so. Sable's men have captured her, Tony and Jimmy. 
As Clark Kent searches for Lois and Jimmy as Superman, Tony has lulled Mickey Bragg and Trigger Nelson to sleep when Rick Sable arrives. So we meet again, huh, Tony? What'd you put in that drinks? Nothing. Don't give me that. People don't sleep like that without a pill pusher somewhere. Tony talked him asleep. The same way he talked you into spilling the beans about the robbery yesterday. Nobody talks Rick Sable into anything he doesn't want. But that's the point. You want to be honest. That's why Tony could do what he did. Tony's got nothing to do with it. I'm the one that decides things around here. Yeah, you decide things. But if you'd listen to Tony, you'd go straight for good. Nothing doing. You're going to fix things my way. Tony's going to make me a better crook than ever. I can't do anything, Rick. I just know the kind of person you are. Well, and you better find out what I'm really like. Huh? <laughs> now, repeat after me. Rick is the best crook in the business. I can't say it about you. Come on, speak up. It's the truth. Okay. Now you can talk. And don't talk. What's the difference? Stop looking at me in that tone of voice. Me go straight, tell the police everything, and he'll give me a job when I get out of jail. I got a right to the big payoff, not just the nickels and dimes. Okay. Okay. So what am I going to do with a guy I played marbles and stickball with when we were kids? And ate spaghetti in your mother's kitchen, remember? Contacts, the whole works. Take it, turn me in. It's all annoyed. What'd you get here, Rick? Oh, you were napping. You can untie them now. Okay, boss. What are you gonna do with them? Looks like they nearly got away with all your stuff. No, they didn't break in. I gave it to them. I'm going straight. What do you mean? From now on, I'm on a level. What about the organization? I'm disbanding it. You can get out now if you want. Boss, you can't do this to us. How can we make a dishonest living without you? If you're smart, you'll go straight. Now, on time, my friends, I got work to do. Don't touch him, Trigger. What the boss said to. I'm giving the orders now. You don't expect Trigger to follow a coward, do you? Who's a coward? You are. You've always been yellow, and I know it. I can prove I'm no coward. Well, go ahead. We're waiting. That bomb he got in the cellar, so he can blow things up in case it gets too hot around here. What bomb? Thought I didn't know about it, huh? Found it months ago. It's got a fuse you can set to go off in one minute or 30 minutes, or any time in between. So you found it. That makes you a big man? I'll bet my life against yours I'll stay in this room longer than you do, with that thing set to go off any time. That's the silliest idea I ever heard. Who's the coward now? You want to give eternity a hot foot, go ahead, but count me out. Trigger, get the bomb. I don't know who's boss. This gun makes me boss. Get it quick. Mickey and Trigger run away before Superman arrives in the nick of time 
to absorb the brunt of the bomb's explosion. Never did I think I'd be glad to see Superman. Just a minute, Rick. Oh, sorry, I know I'm not fit to shake hands with you. No, it's not that, it's just that my hands are white hot from the explosion. Huh? Now, be very glad to shake your hand. I'm very proud. Now, take me into custody. No, this is Jimmy's show. I'm going to turn everything over to him. But Rick tried to save our lives. Do I have to turn him over to the police? No kidding. I've got to take my rap. Boss, you're all right. Gee, the bomb was kind of a dud, huh? I had nothing to do with it. Superman saved us all. You did, though. At least you came back and tried to help us. What nerve. Rick, if you go straight, I do too. That goes for me, likewise. This means jail. You know that. If you can take it, we can too. Well, look, when you get out, you can come into business with me. Wow, I'll make a terrible barber. Well, you can handle giving the kids crew haircuts. That way, no one will know the difference. <laughs> sure. And I'll take care of the shoeshine department. You'll take care of the shoeshine department. That's my department. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who's boss around here? In the barbershop business? Tony's boss. All right, this episode is... Not as strong as Money to Burn, but I still found it quite enjoyable. Starts off in the barber shop, and Tony is lamenting people being in a hurry, and uh, that's something you hear quite a bit in barber shops, especially, you know, now it is a lot of the old style Italian barbers are getting up there in age, and they're always commenting on how the young people are always in a hurry. And obviously, Jimmy is in a hurry because Perry is going to scalp him, probably because Jimmy is getting his hair cut on company time. So honestly, He's probably going to deserve whatever he's got coming to him. I had noticed immediately that I have seen both of these actors before. The man playing Rick Sable is Rick Vallon. He is making his third appearance on the show. He was most notably Pruitt in Jimmy the Kid and was Scarface in The Seven Souvenirs. The barber is Richard Benedict making his third and final appearance on the show. He played the role of Babyface Stevens in Night of Terror back in season one. But it's probably better remembered for, at least by me, as Cappy Leonard in Semi-Private Eye, one of my favorite episodes of the series. And, incidentally, Jack Larson's favorite episode as well, seeing Jimmy dress up as a Humphrey Bogart-like detective to try to save Lois Lane. Apparently, Tony recently bought his barbershop, and he and Rick Sable are old friends, and Tony doesn't realize that Sable is a gangster and makes a comment about... Sable does, that is, makes a comment about knocking over the Acme Jewelry store. Jimmy calls Clark because he recognizes Sable, and he tells Clark that Sable says he's going to rob the place. Clark gets to come by in it because a criminal, the stature of Rick Sable, wouldn't be that careless. So when Rick, but back in the barbershop, when Rick comes out of the chair, it looks like he's in some kind of trance as Tony tells him to call in a robbery if he knows about it, and Sable does. And all of a sudden, Tony gets worried, and he's telling him that he he's carrying the joke too far because he believes that Sable's an honest man and doesn't know of a robbery. So, Tony is not aware at first of his persuasiveness, and he's wielding this ability, and I'm not certain he even knows that he's wielding it. I think Jimmy is sufficiently freaked out here, and he decided now it's time to leave the barbershop. Clark doesn't necessarily believe that there's going to be a robbery, but he's concerned as soon as he realizes that Lois happens to be at the same jewelry store picking up the watch. And why is Lois at the same... Jewelry store that the robbery is supposed to be? Plot. The plot demands that she be there. 
you know, something I just want, started wondering about this show, and I don't know why I haven't wondered this before, despite the fact that we're now in season five and done with the series. Clark has a private office. Why does he need to go to the storeroom? I mean, it's been established in other episodes that Clark has a window in his in his office. I guess he, if people figure out that's Clark Kent's office window, they would know he's Superman, I guess. I don't know. I don't think that logic flies with the amount of time Superman jumps out of Clark Kent's apartment. But anyway, here's Superman crashing the robbery and is catching these guys, and Lois falls right into the trap. But the heat of his x-ray vision takes care of the gun that was still being held by one of the crooks. I believe that was Lefty. But Lois takes into matters into her own hands and knocks two guys out with her handbag. I'm not even going to go into how impossible that is for a mere mortal. You know, she might scratch them or ring the first guy's bell a little bit, but no. They're not going to fall unconscious by a half-ass swing of a handbag. Now, half-ass Superman Punch will knock these two guys out, but I'm not buying that Lois took out these two guys with just her handbag. Unless she's got a brick in it. Maybe she took the brick that Jimmy bought from the seven souvenirs and keeps it in her purse. But then if she had that, I don't think she'd be able to swing it that easily. But I dwell on that a little too much, I believe. We're going to move on as Lois flashes a big smile and observing her handiwork. Superman leaves and with unsecured criminals who can wake up anytime. And Lois is alone with them, but of course they don't wake up. So Jimmy comes running into Clark's office and he states Superman prevented the robbery that they thought was a hoax. And this is where Jimmy starts suspecting that Tony, the barber, has something to do with Rick's behavior when he was in the chair. Now, I'm in the barber shop often enough. Well, maybe not often enough, as I am currently in a predicament where I have to uh, comb my hair right now. I've always said that if I have to comb it, then it's too long. Unlike some of my contemporaries, like Bob Fisher, who said on one of our episodes that he hasn't gotten a haircut in six years. I couldn't grow my hair that long if I wanted to. The length it is now is bothering me. I couldn't imagine it being any longer. So Jimmy asked what Tony and Rick were talking about before the robbery, and Tony seems surprised that the robbery went down. So Rick shows up at the barbershop again now that his men are arrested, and he doesn't believe that he called the police, and he's frantic, so I'm guessing he doesn't remember what happened. So, and here he is, quick with the threat that he's going to threaten anybody who rats out on his men, so even though right now he's the rat. Two things of note. First, Tony seems to have some kind of power of persuasion over anyone he talks to, and secondly... When he's persuading people, they don't seem to remember the, what they did while they were under sway. So after Sable leaves, Jimmy comes out of the back room. And Tony is starting a conversation, so I guess we're going to see what happens here. Jimmy tells Tony about Mr. White and the difficult relationship that Jimmy has with his boss. And Tony tells Jimmy to basically to have some confidence. And nothing wrong with confidence, and I do believe Jimmy has confidence issues, especially around Mr. White. So Tony encourages Jimmy to tell Perry that he'll quit if... Perry doesn't value what Jimmy has to offer. And Jimmy seems to believe that Tony has a kind of gift to encourage people to follow his advice. Tony denies it, but, you know, we're kind of seeing that he doesn't really understand what's going on here. So, here comes Jimmy, strutting his stuff into Perry's office, and he reports in that whatever Tony believes comes true, and that he's going to use Tony to reform Rick. Perry's not buying it, but I did enjoy this line when... Jimmy said he has an idea, and Perry comments, well, what is, what is it, flying teacups to go with flying saucers? You know, sometimes you, you remember little things about an episode. I do remember that line for a long time, the flying teacups to go with the flying saucers, but I never remember what episode it was in. Now it's committed to memory. That episode is in close shave. But anyway, Perry's not really buying Jimmy's uh, newfound confidence or that he's going to quit if Perry doesn't give him the assignment that he wants. But when Perry denies, denies it and sends Jimmy to the garden show, 
Jimmy quits. And this is the kind of moment where you would expect Perry to kind of just dismiss Jimmy, but he doesn't. And even after talking him out of quitting, he gives in to him. Not a good precedent, Chief. Although he points out that he never gets what he wants despite being in charge. So Perry has just shown that the inmates at the Daily Planet are truly running the asylum. So, Tony and Jimmy are off to Rick Sable's house when suddenly Lois shows up out of the back seat, kind of scaring the hell out of both of them. And then two other men get in the car. The If the guy in the foreground looks familiar, he should. We encountered him several weeks ago in the town that wasn't, playing diner owner Joe, who's also Boots in The Unlucky Number. All right, so here's another comedic bit of Perry complaining. And I think my one complaint about this show, and this trend really started in season two, is that Perry has become very much a cartoon character. His job is to basically give orders and complain or do funny bits like this. Of course, here he is commenting on the fact that nobody answers him. Well, good morning, Chief. You're in early today. Lots of good it does make. Will you kindly ask the electrician to fix this thing? Why? What's the matter with it? No one answers. Clark! Kent! See, not even your own switch. Well, could that be possibly because I am here instead of in my own office? <laughs> yeah, well, all right, but... Where's young Olson? Oh, don't you remember, Chief? You sent him out on that uh, Rick Sable story. Yeah, that's right. Where's Lois? Probably went with him. Not on my orders. Now, she must be around somewhere. Find her and tell her I want to see her, will you please? Yes, sir. Right away. And Clark, if young Olson doesn't call up soon, let me know, will you? Very good, sir. And Clark finds his act funny, but Perry gives a bad example. He tries to call Clark's office, and Clark is sitting on his desk. I guess that defeats the purpose. Maybe he should have tried Lois's office and sh- to prove that nobody answers him. But if they really wanted to test the machine... Clark would have, would have had to go into Lois's office and listen. So, Not sure what Perry was trying to accomplish here with this little bit, but he accomplishes it. Jimmy, meanwhile, is trying to get Tony to influence these two criminals to go to sleep, and it's working. So maybe first thought is that maybe Tony is a hypnotist or something? Or amusing, it also puts Jimmy to sleep. And then Rick comes in, finding his two men to sleep, and he grabs the coffee. He's unfazed by the three people tied up in his kitchen. And the Lois now puts forth the notion that Rick wants to be honest. And that's one of the things I've heard about hypnotism. Uh, You can't make someone do something that they wouldn't do anyway without hypnosis. Apparently, the power only works one way because Rick can't influence Tony the way Tony seems to be influencing him. And Tony is doing everything here, just kind of talking to Rick and just doing it with a stare. And you can tell that Rick is getting frustrated by Tony. But apparently, Rick cannot bring himself to kill Tony. And instead goes to a wall safe, and pulls out an envelope with basically all of his criminal information. And Rick says he's going to go straight. And you know what? Mickey sees this as an opportunity to give himself an instant promotion because one of the things that mobsters hate is when people decide they're going to go straight. That makes them a threat, and they could endanger... I don't know how much of a mobster Sable is in the extent when we talk about crime families and, and mafia and stuff like that, but... He's got a gang here of, he had a gang of five. Two guys are arrested, and uh, these other two, he called them his men, but, you know, Mickey doesn't take very kindly to the fact that Rick is going straight because Rick could be a danger to them and cause Mickey and this guy Harry here to go to jail. So Mickey sends Trigger to go get the bomb, and that Rick seems to be keeping in his basement in case he needs to kill anybody. Trigger is just too dumb to realize who the boss is, so apparently Tony did all of this just by giving Rick pretty much a pathetic look. So Trigger comes back, puts the bomb on the table, and he hits the button, and apparently it's going to detonate in either one or three minutes. We don't know which one. And this is one of those episodes that really has to be seen. And you can see 
Mickey reacting when Tony starts talking to him. Tony tells Mickey that he's not going to shoot him, and the gun starts shaking in his hand. And it's just really well done by these day players, really. They're not main regulars on the show. They're just guys who get hired for an episode and come in and do a job, and they're doing a great job here. And, of course, the bomb is going to go off, but Fortune Superman comes in right at the right moment and saves everyone. We get some smoke with some shaky cam, and that creates an explosion, and everyone is saved. Yay for Superman! Sable is happy to see Superman, who washes his hands because they're hot, and won't shake his hand when they're hot because he doesn't want to burn the skin off Sable's hands. Very thoughtful of Superman. And I like this effect where the steam comes off Superman's hands when he pours the cold water on him. Kind of like what happens when you put cold water on a hot pan. Just that doesn't happen with the amount of force that we saw here in this episode. So, we get a nice little ending of everyone deciding that they're going to go straight, even though it means facing some jail time. And they argue over what they're going to do when they get out. Apparently, they're all going to work for Tony when they get out in however many years they'll be in jail. So, not a bad episode. We never really find out what Tony's gift is beyond being really persuasive. So, I guess that's out there. I guess you can call it a power of persuasion like Maxwell Lord had in the comics, but before DC Comics took him off the rails. So, like I said, a decent episode in what's turning out to be a pretty uneven season so far. So, next time, Phil Teed will return as Professor Pepperwinkle in The Phony Alibi, and then a boy named Bobby will try on the Prince Albert coat. In the meantime, if you'd like to email the show and send in your thoughts on anything I've discussed, you can send a message to manofscreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over in the Facebook group. You can put just put Man of, the Man of Screen podcast in your search feed, and the group should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. So, until next time, folks, this is Mike Zumo saying, have a good one. Talk to you later. Bye. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all the opinions on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com Thanks for listening.